0: Hello, and welcome to A Fresh Take, an Investment Week podcast where we speak to people from all walks of life about how they see the asset management sector. I'm Elliot Gulden Eden, reporter at Investment Week. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by four guests who will share their thoughts on the world of investment, and in particular, ESG investing, and how the industry can get young people and people from outside the industry involved in ESG investing. Uh, with me today, I've got Reverend Andrew Harper, Chief Responsibility Officer at Epworth Investment Manager Management. Cam Bourne, head of product at the Big Exchange, Jack Chalman, head of strategy and comms at the Global Returns Project, and Whitney Voot, head of investor relations at US Solar Fund. Um, so, Andrew, should we start with you? Tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into the industry.
1: Yeah, I have kind of a bizarre journey, really, uh, because I, I started off in the academic space um, and I was... Uh, running programs in the global south with some partner university institutions across sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, and I did that for six years. And most of my students um, were also working in some type of industry. Uh, they were artisanal miners. They were. They were. Um, they were working in manufacturing. They were working in agriculture. And what I began to witness is uh, kind of the real effects. That our investment and uh, consumer decisions were having on those in the global south. Uh, so I began looking for what I could do next. Academia was was uh, not my cup of tea long term. Uh, so looking what to do next, and really looking how I could carry on that impact and, and take the learning from the global south and bring it into the investment space here in the UK. Uh, And and so, yeah, I ended up in the investment space um, and uh, that learning kind of contextualizes all of our decision making around ethics and responsibility in in, in Epworth's business uh, and really keeps us focused on who's this person at the very bottom of the food chain, if you will, the very end of the line of, of who might be affected uh, those people who are just far away maybe you know sometimes we, we see them across our tv screens but nothing else who are those people that are affected and how can i center them in our conversations with invested companies
0: great and um cam do you want to introduce yourself
2: yeah perfect uh, thanks for having me um i'm uh, cam bourne I've been in the industry I guess relatively fresh 5 or 5 or 6 years in the investment management industry and similarly kind of fell into it um I was a a linguist at heart and studied languages at university and found a very traditional route into a grad scheme um within a a large asset manager and uh, kind of did the did the rounds there working in different investment teams, institutional background, large companies, pension funds, never really found anything that hooked. I was similarly to what we've just heard, fascinated by the individual, either the investor or the end user and found nothing that, that really caught my interest until I found a product project that was launched by The Big Issue who wanted to encourage kind of more people into investing. They had a big financial inclusion mission at heart uh, that centered around money management and impact investing. And the idea that individuals in the UK could you know, use their money and put it towards um, in investments that had a positive impact on the environment and society was something that immediately seems so sensible to me. And uh, far from straightforward, it's been in 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 building that out and and building a, a kind of a methodology to make that robust and rigorous. It's it's been a bit of a journey. It's been a bit of a journey to date, but it's it it's something that I feel, and we'll talk about it later. People and people are hugely passionate about both who work in the industry and both who invest, and I think that's that's only something that is really positive for the future.
0: Great, and uh, Jack. How about yourself?
3: Sure. Well, thanks, Elliot. Really happy to be here. Um, I um, originally am from the U.S. and I came over to the U.K. on a two-year Marshall scholarship. And um, I, I arrived at the Global Returns Project, I think, because I was really intrigued by our model, which is all about sort of bringing about systemic change in the industry through a sort of simple mechanism or a simple complement to ESG. And uh, I might have a different relationship with the industry than some of the others um, here today because we're we're actually a UK registered climate charity. And this complement that we work on to ESG is really about thinking about, you know, what are the limits of even the very best ESG? And how can we support the solutions that the markets have trouble getting to? And um, our our sort of answer to that is curating a portfolio of climate not-for-profits and treating that to the best of our ability like an investment fund, even if it's not giving financial returns, trying to apply that rigorous approach and working that portfolio into every financial strategy. So I sort of arrived... Here, because I think you know, it's interesting to think about where the industry is going in the future and how we can continue to innovate. Not just you know making ESG mainstream, which of course we need to do, but thinking about you know what is the next step and how can we keep moving forward. Great,
0: and uh, finally, Whitney, if you'd like to introduce yourself.
4: Sure. Um, I studied government and Spanish in university and then found my way to um, raising capital for private equity funds and advising private equity funds on um, through strategy and business development. And I worked in New York. I spent a couple of years in London and came back to New York. I worked in Latin America. I then went to work for a fund. I then went to work for a family office, investing in the space. I'm not as old as all of this sounds, but um, and then I, I um I knew some people who were uh, managing a solar fund. Um, They were connected to the family office I was working with. And they had just launched U.S. Solar Fund. It was successfully listed on the London Stock Exchange. Um, And so they had some capital to go invest in utility-scale solar here in the U.S. And it was a really exciting moment because as I learned about the opportunity, I realized Um, there's a cool pairing between sort of the UK and European markets and the capacity and interest in ESG investing and sustainable investing that was definitely more mature and much more developed than here in the U S coupled with the fact that in the U S solar was now the cheapest form of new build power generation um, across much of the country. So we had sort of this really exciting moment where like the economics um, penciled out in the U.S. around solar projects going forward, and just the appetite and cultural um, maturity or place in the U.K. and Europe, where they were they were looking for products outside of the U.K. and Europe to diversify, because there were a lot of solar funds or renewables funds in general in the U.K. and Europe, um, and the U.S. market was tricky to penetrate. We have one federal. Regime, but we have lots of different states and different developers. And so it was harder for a manager to come over and, and navigate. And um, the investment manager, our investment manager, New Energy Solar, had been investing in the space for a number of years with an Australian listed fund.
0: Great. Um, so I think we'll start out as all of you are from kind of an ESG background, obviously in some very different areas, but still kind of united by ESG. And you know, in the last few years, ESG has really risen to prominence. It's become kind of one of the staples of asset management. And so I I think one thing that's quite important for a fresh take is we're thinking about how do we get people from different backgrounds, young people into the industry. Uh, And so I was wondering, do do you think that the rise of ESG is is kind of enabling that, especially, you know, young people are uh, very socially conscious about issues like climate change. Do you think that ESG represents a kind of new Area to get young people and people from different backgrounds in. Um, I don't know if anyone has any comments or we can just go around. Uh all right, I'll start with uh Andrew then.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think it is a good thing. Um you know, for the first time we're seeing adverts on television uh talking about sustainable investment. And you know, that that is, of course, a good thing. I think what's really interesting to me around uh, Young people, though, is the insight that they're bringing into the ESG space and the potential they have to really inform uh, where ESG goes into the future. You know, there are future clients, first of all. We should be knowing what they're thinking about now, what concerns them. So we surveyed 450, approximately, youth and young people uh, around the UK. And surprisingly, climate scored number four as the most important issue. What was ahead of that were social issues, things around secure housing, job security, equality, diversity, inclusion. They're concerned not just about the planet, uh, but they're concerned about how they're actually living in that planet and where, where they sit in society. And we queried that a bit more. Uh, we found that they, they see, at least the people we surveyed, are seeing that the climate is being addressed over here. And while it's being addressed over here, everyone's back is to all the disaster that's happening back here. Um, You know, the the kind of social adversity uh, and social hardship that's being placed on our young people. So I think what we can learn from them is that we need to do more. Uh, And hopefully in the ESG space, as important and as prime of an issue that the climate emergency is, it's not at the expense of all the social issues that many people are facing around the world,
0: including our young people. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think as well, we've started to see the kind of the rise of impact investing uh, kind of beyond ESG, as some people call it. And there you are starting to see more of uh, an increase in focus on social issues. I think quite a while ESG has kind of been thought of as the E and then the S and the G are to the side, but I think impact investing might, Represents an opportunity for those social issues to really take centre stage when thinking about uh, responsible investing. I don't know if uh, Cam, you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when when that's put in tandem with a clear purpose and clear goals, I think it starts to become really attractive, um, especially from you know w- what we see. Um, at a kind of retail investor level, so why people are investing their money in their ISA with us, that there's clear goals and purpose that besides financial growth, yes, of course, that's important to people, but people are seeing other things that are attractive. You know, is there an outcome for clean water for example social movement what is it that can be attractive to a whole generation of investors and also importantly people who could come and work in the industry now that's the that's the secondary tangent I think is really important about what um, this space is doing is attracting a different type of kind of neurodiversity um, that isn't just around kind of profit at all costs, um, which is so greatly needed across the different kind of stakeholders in our industry.
0: Great. And um, Jack, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on kind of the discussion, uh, whether about impact or or about the rise of ESG in general.
3: Yeah, well, Cam, I love that point about, you know, this, this rethinking of the idea of, you know, profit, profit at, at all costs. And I think, you know, in, in answer to that question about is ESG... In a you know answering young people's demands, I think you know my answer would be yes to a certain extent because I think young people understand and 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 know that it's time to regenerate the planet. you know, we have to engage in these regenerative activities. And I think the challenge with ESG, obviously, you know there's still work to be done to make sure that you know ESG funds are delivering on their promises. but even when you, do that important work, there's still a really important set of climate solutions that markets have a hard time getting to. Even impact, even the best markets, you know, have a hard time suing polluters and um, defending CO2, sequestering whale populations and delivering systemic solutions like advocacy and policy work. And, you know, I think, you know, how do you deal how do you deal with that? I think the answer is, you know, there are organizations delivering those solutions from our perspective. It's, it's not for profit organizations. Um, in an ideal world, maybe governments would be the ones filling the gaps where markets fall short, but I think we all know that governments aren't really acting fast enough. And so, you know, we're really trying to make it easy for, investors and especially young investors to support climate not for profit solutions that are delivering these non-market initiatives these regenerative initiatives alongside their ESG and I think when you pair it that way you get a lot closer to putting together a regenerative you know strategy that that meets young people's expectations right
0: And um, Whitney, you you came from a kind of somewhat traditional background in in finance, working in private equity and and everything else that you mentioned. Do you think that there's also appetite, obviously we're talking about kind of people coming, young people coming into, straight into ESG. do you think there's also an appetite for people working in kind of more traditional sectors to make that leap into working in ESG investing, perhaps because of, uh, of the social benefit that it might bring?
4: Oh, absolutely. I see a ton of interest. But I also think we're reaching a point where you can't separate the two. Like I I keep going back to, to reread Larry Fink's. He's the CEO of BlackRock. They manage more than $10 trillion. That's larger than any single GDP other than the U.S. and China. So a huge amount of capital. And he has consistently said since 2020 that uh, sustainability and ESG investing, and he does include the S and G in this very clearly, are the most critical um, considerations in investment at this point. He's like, there's no escaping it. He doesn't want to escape it. He thinks it's the most interesting way to look at opportunities around risk and opportunity. Um, I was going to say, oh, he said in 2020 we believe that sustainability should be our new standard for investing, not our new standard for ESG investing, but for investing in general. And so. Often when I when I feel a bit um, disillusioned in the world, which is really easy these days, it's hard not to be day after day with the news. I keep looking at things like this and, I, and it helps me realize just how far we are already, like when one of the largest asset managers in the world is so focused on this space. And so I just go back to the fact that I don't think you can separate them anymore. I think there will be a wide spectrum and varying degrees of sort of um, how effective how pure how how much integrity there is to an ESg investment um, and that's why i like working in solar and look like even in the solar space we're generating renewable energy we can really quantify how much um, we're offsetting in terms of our production and yet we still think about of course we think about our carbon footprint the composition of our board the composition of our investment teams our governance lots of things and lots of there's room for improvement everywhere but i just think that We're at an exciting moment where I don't think you can invest without thinking about sustainability, at least from uh, a risk perspective, because there is so much cultural, social, political momentum around the space. Um, And then I just think socially we've reached a point where people care deeply. Um, So I'm really excited about the space. And I think that young people have lots of opportunities and young people are driving this. This is this is not because older generations have have woken up there have been groups within older generations that understood this but this is really young people as um uh like stakeholder capitalism they're really driving this it's, it's around consumer and investment behavior at, in younger generations so i think it's happening great and
0: um obviously you know that there, there has been a lot of progress made but um there is still some way to go uh, in terms of, of getting people into the industry, so um, Andrew, I think you mentioned that, that more change needs to happen. What what change do you think needs to happen to to get people from different backgrounds, young people, or people of colour, you know, uh, women? Ty- typically, it's a very male dominated space. What what do you think needs to happen to get those people who otherwise wouldn't come into the industry into the industry?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, my generation, younger generations. Um, we want trust, honesty, and transparency. And we're kind of inherently skeptical of big organizations that make big claims. Uh, and unfortunately, and I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point in the conversation, greenwashing is rife, not just in London, but, but across, across the globe. Um, and it's really difficult to to find where you can place that trust without feelings of betrayal or being let down or or whatever. Um, So I think really, if we want to attract young people, talented people who have that passion to drive change, they need to be sure that the investment they're making with their time and energy is going to have actual returns. And when you have asset managers, um, I won't name who it is, but who who can, with a light switch, almost flip all their funds to sustainability funds and say, oh, they were already sustainable. that's going to that's gonna cause a lot of mistrust, particularly amongst young people who are already skeptical about all of this, who are already skeptical that companies actually care. You know, when you've got someone like Stuart Kirk from HSBC standing up at the FT conference and saying the things he did, uh, it, it's difficult to understand why any young people would, would... I think we're lucky to have the talented young people we do have within the industry, um, but... We need to be honest with them we need to be transparent and we need to be focusing on the issues that they're most concerned about and like i said climate of course is is a major major part of that but you know there's, there's other social issues they want not looked at
0: great and um i don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on on kind of the consequences of greenwashing or, or you know social washing or that kind of thing
3: i I was just going to say, Elliot, that I, I, Andrew, I think that point about transparency is so important. And I think a lot about a study that was done in, in March of this year by um, the group Clarity AI, and they looked at something like 31,000 funds. And in particular, one of the most interesting things they did was look at Article 8 funds. So these are you know, funds that should be wholly or, or partially focused on environmental, social and sustainability issues. And what they found was that less than 4% of the revenue in the funds that they looked at can actually be classified as green, which is pretty astounding. So, I mean, I think on this point about greenwash, there is a lot of room to improve. And if we stay where we are, we run the risk of having a lot of, you know, excellent rhetoric and not making any real project progress. And I think that's where these, you know, regenerative activities come in. We have to be making sure that the ESG funds are, you know, really following through on what they're promising. But in the meantime, we also need to make sure that our financial system has mechanisms in place for doing these regenerative activities that, you know, we need to do in the next 10 years.
0: Right. And, And um, Cam, I'm not sure if you have anything more to say about that, either about the kind of greenwashing or specifically getting other people from different backgrounds into the industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that that your point about rhetoric versus progress, I think is really important because the feeling of inertia in any industry is never going to attract anyone because you can try as hard as you want, but your effort's going to provide no outcome. You know, and that's, that's a really sceptical way to say what, you know, that give a skeptical view of the industry at the moment, but I, but I think you know if you're coming into it fresh, it, it, it can be quite disillusion. Um, so you know, the way I see it is actually involving people in the solutions before they even come to the industry. So how can we how can we get more young people even interested in investing for themselves? How can we get people, you know, talking to their kids about this and the impact they can have? How can we start telling people about outcomes? before they reach the point where they're 30 and go, okay, you know, what is this thing that I'm, that I'm kind of doing now with my money or needing to get involved with at work? Like it's, it's, I think it's a real transformational shift in the mindset of probably, you know, adults at the moment to then speak with kids about and education. And there's so many different things that we can do in order to be more inclusive around this. And I think, moving it from that point around financial goals at all cost to social and environmental goals, you know, as Andrew said at the start, can really, really catch people's interest much earlier than than previous generations.
0: Great. And um, Whitney, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on
4: that. Yeah. I just wanted to add one point, which I completely agree with all of you on this. There is um, a huge amount of progress to be made in the industry and there, are, you know, just as a fund in the industry, as, um, expectations and frameworks and regulatory environments change around reporting, it's exciting. It's a ton of work and it's changing so quickly that it's hard to keep up from six month period to six month period. But what I would say is I, and I hate to be like the eternal optimist on this call. Actually, I don't hate it. It's a great thing. Um, I would say this is this is a sign of industry changing. Like the fact that they're, that greenwashing is being called out, the fact that Banks are being held accountable. It's not going to be perfect right now. What I'm excited about is the sort of momentum and the amount of capital flowing into the space. And we're in a messy time of it. Like, I completely agree with that. It's not going to be perfect right now. It's not going to be perfect anytime soon, probably ever. But I'm excited about the direction we're headed. And I do think this is an exciting way to get young people involved. I think the attention from the press, I think the momentum in capital in the space, I think. Um, I just, I think we're at least trying to go in a great direction. And and to me, that's more important than getting it right, right now, all the time. It's, it's just the effort um, to improve and to keep going in the direction. Um, but I also completely agree with all of you on the criticisms and the frustrations. Um, and I just, I just have to still feel like we're, we're still making progress, even if even if we're not where we would like to be.
0: Great. And um, does anyone have any final thoughts before we finish up on any of the topics we talked about? I, I just wanted to say
1: on impact, you know, the, the ESG space loves buzzwords uh, and impact seems to be the emerging buzzword. And I, I think there's a bit of a, a, a kind of mysticism or mist around impact because for us at Epworth, All of our investments make an impact. And I think this this is obviously true of every asset manager. All investments make an impact. The choice we have is whether that impact is going to be positive or negative. There's no neutral position here. And if we want to bring young people into this space and they come all excited about going into ESG and impact and they walk into the office and they say, oh, what are those people doing over there? And they say, oh, don't worry about that. That's just our traditional business. Don't worry about that over there. Well, that's the negative impact. We're at a flashpoint where all investment has
0: to be positive impact. Brilliant. Great. And uh, I think we'll finish up there if that's all right. Um, Thank you so much all for coming on the podcast. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thanks.